Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Lisa Cordleone. Lisa is a writer, producer, and actress who continues to find her way in making her art reflective of inclusivity and empowering women. With such works as Freelancers Anonymous and Easy Abbey, her body of work continues to expand and represent women in tech. Through all of this, she's learned how to deal with fear and shame and strives to help change the trajectory for the next generation of women. Let's hear Lisa's story. Lisa Cordleone, you are here. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're really excited to have you here. I know it the uh, cat's out of the bag that we've both known you for, well, I've known you for a long time. Jeff's known you for actually the same amount of time, but we're really excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yay. Yay. The dogs are just as excited as well, too. Mickey is in heaven with Lisa Mickey's here. very excited. <sighs> All of the dogs, even Pop-Tart. Yeah, P.O.P. Well, so, she's on my lap now. Okay. So, Lisa, you and Anthony um, know each other from Chicago, and then I eventually met you there as well, too. We're here in L.A. How long have you been here? I've been in L.A., I'll, give, I'll say five and a half years. Five and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's not it's a like firm a, date. There, okay. It was... I shuffled around back and forth between LA and Chicago and yeah, I'd say like five and a half years. You kind of flirted good. a little bit. And yeah, then, you I know. flirted with it for a yeah. little while and then and then I fell in love. You so, dated. Yeah, we dated. Yeah. We courted. Mm-hmm. Proper. So Lisa, you and Anthony know each other from Chicago and also myself, but where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York until I was like 13, 12, 13 years old. And then um, my family, we got moved to Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area, North Carolina. So I went to middle school, high school, and college down there. And then, um, yeah, and then from there, I ended up landing in Chicago. So really fast, going back, why, you said your family got moved. Why did you have to move? My, all of my family going back, even my grandparents, three of my four grandparents worked at IBM. And I'm from the the town where IBM uh, started. In and, upstate New York? In upstate New York. Mm. And so um, my parents both worked at IBM. Uh, my mom just retired after like 40 something oh, years. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, they, it was closing down. Um, upstate. And so um, I, I remember like a lot of my friends were either moving to like Burlington, Vermont or Raleigh, North Carolina. So we ended up um, in North Carolina. I think my parents were done with the winters. So oh. shoveling snow. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. How, so, ever, so how old were you were? What age when you moved to? I was like 12 or 13. The move was very actually important in my life as I like look back on it. How so? Um, it like, <laughs> I love you, but that's the question. A couple of reasons. I'm a pretty shy person. I'm like, what do they call it? Like a introvert, introvert? an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. That's what it is. Extroverted yeah. introvert. I have my moments. I like one-on-ones or I like being like on a stage with a lot of people. But if there's a party of 15 people, I shut down. <laughs> That's kind of what happens. I can, uh, I totally understand that. You get that? Yeah. yeah. So when I moved, I... It, Two things happened. One, I, I went to like three middle schools between New York and North Carolina and moving to we got a house and all this kind of stuff. So me and my older brother, who's a couple of years older than me, just became 
very close, fast mm-hmm. friends. And whenever he met someone, he introduced me to them and I did the same. And then we had a lot of the same friends throughout high school. So we just formed this uh, very close relationship with each other. You were your own clique. We you, were, brought, <laughs> you brought everybody together under well, the two of you. We did. Well, we tried to help each other out, I mm. feel like, which was great. And then I also, it helped me come out of my shell. Mm. You know, it was really scary moving. It was like a whole other world. Yeah, I so I totally can't relate to that at all. Like I was at the same, I lived like lived in the same house. I went to the same school, had the same friends. That's what mine was ever. growing up too when I moved. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would have been like at that age to be able to 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 lose all of that and then have to go, you know, and have to sort of start all over. But there's there's something yeah. interesting when you when you have just one person who arrives, but then you've got two. It's almost like there's something about like a story. Oh, you know, what's your brother's name? Remind me. Brian. Brian. So, oh, it's Brian's sister Lisa. Lisa's brother Brian. You know, yeah. it just, it just is something that you start to tell, almost tell a story about who are these people? There's two of them. There's something even about science where you see two people on a screen versus one, mm-hmm. um, how like the eyes play off each other. Even like, you know, obviously twins would be a good example of that. But even right. with siblings, there's something there that you can tell people automatically just like, oh, what's the story here? Yeah. And my little brother probably had it even different because I don't want to leave Steven out. He's like five years behind. So it was it was maybe a, a little bit, you know, different story for him. Maybe a little easier for him. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because he just wanna... wasn't as, uh, uh, in school, he wasn't as uh, advanced. Yeah, he's younger, yeah, yeah, yeah. when so, he moved. So this so. was like, you said 12, 13 for you? Yeah. So teenage years. Uh, <laughs> the most awkward. Yeah, right, that's one thing. <laughs> it's like, like the worst years, like the middle of middle school. So did you... Did you know, as far as like coming of age to yourself, like feelings for developing for people? I, I no, I, I, I didn't even ever think about that. You know, there wasn't really like internet or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like, I don't want to like date my mom's still young, but we didn't have access. Yeah. We weren't thinking about those things. We were just being kids. Like I played soccer and I was on a club team and did travel. And like, that was my life. I, you know, I played sports and did all that kind of stuff. And I always had boyfriends. I had a boyfriend in middle school and high school. And I always had boyfriends in high school. And I mean, in high school, I could definitely tell I was like, just not interested in the boys, but I never really knew I was interested in girls. I just knew I was not interested in boys, but I didn't know if that was just because they were high school boys and I, I, you know, you don't know. Right. So I just didn't know what to make of it. I mean, locker rooms were tough for me as a kid Hmm. in high school playing, playing sports. I always, um, I like walk in with my head down and like change in the bathroom. I never wanted to make anyone uncomfortable. I was always like worried, like, Oh, don't like look at any, like I wouldn't look at anybody, but I was worried. Did you know what that that was at the time? Cause I kind of had that as well too. There was no words for it. And I was also in North Carolina. You have to remember, right. like we're still in the South. This is the not in the nineties. So I was right? in high school, like ninety six. I graduated yeah. two thousand. Yeah. So, yeah, in North Carolina, yeah. I mean, like half our school was like Southern, and ha- the other half had moved there from other places. Sure. Yeah. But you felt that there was something different about you. I felt or like some, I, I, no. I felt like something was off. Mm. I felt like something was off, but I didn't have words. I mean, when I came out later, when I came out in college, like uh, my friends were all like, oh, finally. <laughs> it's just like, I, you know, and looking back, it's like, yeah, of course, of course. So of college, course. Uh, what? Uh, so you did some sports for extracurricular, extracurricular activities. Can I say that all at once? Uh, extracurricular. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that voice, now I know why that voice gets paid right there. That's right. Yeah. I got no. a real face uh, for non- radio. Annunciation. Uh, <laughs> Annunciation. <laughs> awesome. Um, so with uh, 
with college, what was your major? Acting. <laughs> My parents were thrilled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was supposed to go to like, I was like a big science buff. So I loved biology and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, Chapel Hill. Like my parents wanted me to go to Chapel Hill. We're big Tar Hill fans. And they're like, you should go like pre-med to Chapel Hill. Mm. And I was like, ah. And I quit playing soccer my senior year to do a play. And it got really serious for me. And so I ended up majoring. I got my BFA in professional acting. BFA is? A Bachelor of Fine Arts. And in our school in East Carolina at the time, we had a, a two-year kind of conservatory program within the program um, that you had to audition for that was um, a Meisner-based technique. So yeah, it's boring, right? <laughs> it was a big deal for us then because the guy, because their teacher was a big deal. So I already asked what a BFA respected. is. I'm going to show my, my uh, non-theater education here. What is a Meisner technique? Oh, Meisner's a technique, like there's different techniques for acting that people train in. There's like Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, Meisner, Stanislavski. Everything stems from Stanislavski. It's just different ways of having a tool box of things that you can draw from. And sure. a lot of people use lots of different things. I don't know how much you want to get into Meisner. Not many people <laughs> really want to talk about that. But I mean, it's a pretty intense you know, program to take for two years. So I found that when I got to Chicago and was doing Second City stuff and doing improv, it was like a nice- It complimented? It, it kind of complimented it, but it also was like freeing um, mm. to be doing to be doing improv. So uh, talking about college experience, so in your coming out process, so you said before that you felt like something was off. When did it, when did it like dawn on you that it wasn't something that was off? It was, this is just who you were. There's like a couple different moments, but where I knew who I was, my freshman year of college, and I literally had to like look in the mirror mm. and like say the words. And even then it was bisexual. That was the words, that was the word I had. You know, I grew up, you know, going to church. I grew up in a very religious family. I was like in the choir, I was Sunday school, like I was there. So I had like a lot of issues with marriage and I had like a lot of religious stuff as well. Hmm. And a lot of fear of like, you know, telling my family and like they could they could never know. Like I thought they would never know. <laughs> the rest was so young and everything, but I didn't want to hurt anybody. And so that was the word that worked for me at 19 in North Carolina. Got it. <laughs> Got it. In 2001 or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, if we think back, like that was, you know, 20 years ago and there just wasn't as, I mean, there was almost no representation on television. I mean, and what was there was so limited. It wasn't on TV really that I know of, but I, I mean, I used to go to Blockbuster and like rent. I, there was one section. <laughs> It was one half a wall. It was a half wall. They didn't even have enough for a full wall. A half wall, but they just had a little rainbow on it. Huh. And I, in high school, and I in high school would go and rent. And, I mean, it was basically just a wall of Angelina Jolie movies, but um, Hackers, Foxfire, you know, like anything. And then it was like, Boys Don't Cry and mm -hmm. um, all these great movies, but I'm a cheerleader, Jamie Babbitt, like all these films and and so I was watching them. I didn't know why I was watching or why I liked them. I mean, I just couldn't put two and two together. I don't know why. I, maybe because we weren't allowed to, I think. What do you mean? Like in in that space, in that time. Yeah. Like I even remember doing like a, in high school, um, I did a talent show and we wanted to sing something from Rent. Rent was on the rage. Rent was like. Yeah. 
everything in high school if you were into musical theater. And we wanted to sing the Maureen and Joanne song. Oh. And our high yeah. school, I remember this recently, would not let us sing it as two women. We could only do the song if if a man took one of the roles. I actually remember that. At, yeah. Wow. And so I don't think that we did it. I don't remember. But yeah, I remember that was like a stipulation or we had to change some words or something like that. So anyways, I was sneaking these movies kind of home. And, and so I say this because it means a lot to me since I've been in LA that getting to meet some of these people or mm. they're the people that, that were making the stuff in the 90s. That was the representation. And it yeah. was not much. <laughs> right. So you said earlier too that you you came from this religious background. Yes. Eventually when you come out, how did that go with your family? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't tell them until I graduated from college. So this was three years that I wow. held on to a secret. Mm. Wow. And by that point I was like, you know, ex I was experimenting. I was dating like, girls. Dating girls. Yeah. If, you know, I was having, I was in college, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was in college. It was like work hard, play hard. Gay bars. Yeah, we had one gay bar okay. <laughs> in Greenville. It was called the Paddock Club, and it's still there. And I think they're doing a documentary about it. Hmm. Um, Sandra Bullock actually talks about it because she went to the same the same school. But but it was an amazing club because we all went there, and it didn't matter. It was actually better than sometimes going to a, a club in New York City because we all accepted each other. There weren't oh. like it wasn't like oh here's the gay boys and here's the gay girls yeah. and here's you know the drag queens. It was like no everyone. Welcome. Right. Mm, and we yeah. all support each other because it's the only place we had. Yeah. And yeah. it was actually really lovely. Like, yeah, if I think back on it, it was really special. That's right. Actually, that's, I, you nailed it right there. Cause I think about some of the smaller towns that I lived in, South Bend, Indiana, and there was maybe one, maybe two or three bars. Mm -hmm. And there was really just like the one big bar. And yeah. it's, it's gone. It was called Truman's. It's, it's gone today. But every, like, it was like a just a, a safety net. Yeah, safety net that everyone <laughs> just kind of fell into. Yeah. And it was just so cool, like just seeing everyone. You could just like walk around the, the, the like the main room and just kind of get to meet, have a different experience as you walked across the room with the. With the were there room. were there multiple? Uh, I don't know if in your excuse you grew up in Chicago, but like so you had more to choose from. But were there multiple rooms? Was it like a compound? This is what it was, it was in Raleigh. Compound. That's what it was yeah. in Raleigh. It was like legends and then there was like <laughs> the bar and then in the back was like the poles and stuff for like the drag show and dance and dance floor and then there was like the part i guess for playing pool and there were some very tough ladies there and then you went out back and there was a courtyard where everyone was smoking and then after that there was like a martini bar mm -hmm. i mean it was something for everyone yeah yeah that's, everyone we had downstairs was the drag show was downstairs and then upstairs was like the big dance area mm -hmm. but like so the drag show would be like early matinee like you know nine o'clock whatever <laughs> matinee. <laughs> yeah, matinee drag matinee oh that, man yeah, then, i love a good drag show oh, it makes and, me so proud it makes me so happy yeah unlike anything else and drag has changed obviously over the years but at its best it's it's entertaining it's fun. It's empowering. It's it reminds magical. me of coming out. It reminds me of coming out, which is why I love it. It, it just reminds me of being 19 and mm. going to the paddock. And so like, I, I think the last drag show I went to was in um, Toronto when, when we went for the film. We, after our screening one night, I ended up at a drag club in Toronto and 
it just made me feel like I was like 19 again or something. Yeah. It was empowering, yeah. like you're yeah, saying. Yeah. No. Well, there's something about what like drag shows, especially back then, they just brought, like it brought everybody together. Everyone could come and watch and they were entertaining and they were uplifting and also, and accepting. you know, accepting and just being able to sort of be in a, you know, I think about those times, like, you're, you know, you're hiding this secret from your family, right? While mm. you're in college, mm. but you're able to go to this compound, this compound or, this you know bar it's the one place where you could fully relax mm. and it's almost like you could take a deep breath and not be worried because you knew that anybody who you had to quote unquote hide from yeah. was not going to be there so i think that there's just something you know as even more joyous when you're able to watch these performers you know come on and do this it was like yeah. it was a the part of the emotional connection to it is that you were in a space where you felt fully comfortable to be able to be yourself. Yeah. yeah. And they were very, I, I don't know if this is something, you know, that happens at every drag show, but like we would go up and give like, there would mm -hmm. be like a line. Oh, to, to tip? To, to tip. There would be yeah. a line. And I just remember being so nervous at first, but then so proud to be a part of that. To stand up. To yeah. stand up and give, a, and give a tip or something like that. And it was like such a show of respect, but I think what really, it's so heartwarming is how I was, ex I mean, I could cry. Mm. I mean, I, sorry, it's a pandemic, I'm whatever. Uh, <laughs> is how, how accepting they were of me and I didn't really have ex acceptance. I did from my friends, of course, I lived in the theater, but this was someone I didn't know who, I don't know how to explain it. No, it, 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 it was, you know, but it's I- powerful. And that's right, you said the word, you said powerful. So there's something about whether it, we talk about, you know, with Marsha, you know, P. Johnson throwing that brick and, you know, there is, like, when someone finally stands up and shatters a, a farce or a glass ceiling, when that drag queen gets on stage and sometimes there's people that are maybe there for a, uh, you know, a bachelorette party. And I used to make me uncomfortable for different reasons when that would happen, because I was like, I felt like this was like my safe place. And so, to be fair, in the beginning, I was like, what if somebody sees me who's not one of us, you know, and then tells my family or my friends that, that I'm gay, you know, was, mm -hmm. was really probably what was going through my head in the beginning. Yeah. But then back to your experience. So when, when you would wait in line, when you would give that drag queen that tip and they're up on, you know, maybe it's just like a, you know, a, two foot table that they're standing on, you know, whatever that stage is. It was a nice is. stage at the paddock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was actually mostly everyone went for the drag shows. Oh. Yeah. And then when they, when they, when you get to go, it's like, there's almost like a transfer. When you give that money, they look you in the eye. Yes, that's they, what I'm talking about. They that look eye contact, you in the eye. You know, we're looking, you and I are looking at each yeah. other across the table right now. And it's just like, we both know what that is. Yeah. And just that standing there in like the true expression of who they are. And I was standing there in the true expression of who I was. Uh, and so it was like that moment, that's what it was, that moment of connection that was probably, and I, I can't believe this came up and it's very emotional for me, like surprisingly so, because it so just kind of strips away all the, the layers of everything to your core part of who you are, being safe to express it. And um, it's a really special thing. I think it's, you know, I think back on that time in my life around that, you know, that age. And you think about like, as just being, just just to be yourself, <laughs> we had to go through, you know, even though like I grew up in a big city, I still was kind of careful or, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like I was out, but I wasn't like out to everybody. You know, it just, it was, I was still at that age, I was still, 
you know, careful who I was uh, out to, but I feel like there are people that just take for granted that you could just walk out the door and not think about, am I looking, do I look too gay? Am I too flamboyant? Mm. Is this color shirt okay? Is my hair okay? Do do I have the right shoes on? Are they too clicky? Is my bag the right bag? You know, it just... Mm. To to be able to stand in your own shoes and feel comfortable with who you are, that's what going to gay bars when I was, you know, 19, <laughs> 20, 21, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, that's where I felt where, like, same thing. Just felt fully comfortable in my shoes and did not yeah. care what anybody else thought. Yeah, that was, yes, it, it was it, it was a safe safe place yeah, and, and it's sad because a lot of, at least I know a lot of like the the lesbian bars, I guess you could say lesbian bars have closed over the years and they really are just like a safe haven where yeah. like you feel like you can have fun and you're not being like, you know, stared at or something. Like you could just be yourself. There's, you know? there's something too, like, and also with some of these, you're with different generations too. There's this bar in South Bend that's still open called Vicky's. And, when Anthony and I are back home visiting my parents, we, 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 there's something we like, we love to be able to go out. And then there's people that I grew up with that are, you know, you get to run into. And, and he knows people that I love being able to go back to a small town, mm-hmm. gay, lesbian bar, uh, you know, for a place yeah. uh, still today, the, the, the ones that do still exist. There is a, an episode of True Blood Taking you back a little bit here. I never, uh, I never watched True Blood. Uh, I feel it, like I'm, I totally, and like Dexter and all. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, well, same, <laughs> same generation, right? Not to give away too much of it, but there's, there's, there's vampires, there's fairies, there's, it's very interesting. Um, and there's this point where they enter this dimension where like the fairies live, and it's like this safe place, I think, where the vampires can't get them. And the minute I saw that, I was like probably in my mid early twenties, and I was kind of in and out. I've been doing that in and out of the closet thing, and. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Truman's. That's the gay bar. Like, mm. and, and you know, I just got chills. Mm. I was like, this is like the magical place. Yeah, um, yes. Which I mean, like we can talk about like the, you know, people be, being called, you know, fairies, you know, for, for over the years and what that means. But uh, <laughs> sure. I was like, straight up fairy right here. That's me, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Well, the terminology's changed and I've heard all kinds of slang that maybe would not be acceptable today yeah. that gay people would say toward other gay people back in the day. It's a different generation even yeah. from us. But it, it all comes, I mean, if it's from, a, I don't know. Let's not go down that road. I feel like it's like that's a whole other thing. I think, that's, I think it's coming down from a place of love. It's coming, where, it's, where it's all from at. a place of, of, yeah. of love and acceptance and chosen family and, yeah. And, yeah. and protection and all the good stuff. But I wanted to say something about the gay bar thing because you got me onto a thought process. Sure. Gay bars are really important part of our culture and history. Um, and I'm like, and I'm going to give, Three quick examples of why of things. Okay, one, I love Frameline Film Festival in San Francisco. It's just the most supportive LGBT film fest, and it's the oldest LGBT film fest in the country, I think. And it's in San Francisco. I had the opportunity to play Freelancers Anonymous at the Castro Theater there, which is one of my dreams come true. But on the corner on Market Street is the, uh, it's called Twin Peaks. It's a gay bar that has all glass, it's the only, and I think it was, no, it's the first gay bar that had windows. Oh. And it's right on the corner of Castro and Market, I think. And such a fun, great place. But just think about that. It's the first bar in the in the United States, I think, with windows. So we're talking about- Gay bar, you mean? Gay bar, sorry, yeah, yeah. gay bar. And when because it's a safety issue, right? right? So you're thinking about, like you said, mentioned, you know, Marsha um, P. Johnson and- 
Stonewall. And it reminded me of the second thing, which was a documentary that I saw uh, in San Diego at the film festival there that was the history of gay bars in San Diego, which had the most gay bars in the United States post-World War II. San Diego? San Diego. Really? Because of all the U.S. Navy men and women who came back from war who didn't go back to the rest of their hometowns who were gay. Yeah. And they would marry each other. And, you know, there were like white male straight business owners that were like, money's green, I don't care, and set up these businesses. And there was like a whole underground network. Oh man, it's an amazing documentary. I should try and, um, I got to meet one of the women who was interviewed in it. But it's interesting because the gay bars, they, all the entrances had an L shape. I don't know if you know this yes, in, your, in your town. Right? And it's because if someone were to throw a rock or a brick or shoot or anything through the door, it would hit the wall and not anybody. Huh. And it was a safety thing. And so it was just like really the history of that to know that was like, wow, think about that. Mm. It was when you were walking into these bars, that that's what it was. Well, that somebody had to sit there and think that through. Like they, yeah. they were designed that way. Yeah. Someone, you know, was it, yeah. that's what you had to worry yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Which we take that for granted today. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But it just made me, when you're talking about gay bars, like I am so interested in the history of our yeah. um, Lisa, community. You, you mentioned the Castro Theater uh, in your film. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. So we'll hold place for that. But like, can we talk about shame in, uh, for a little bit here? <laughs> sure. <laughs> here we go. We didn't want to oh, get up. Right. Yes, shame. Here we mm. go. Hand sanitizer. Let me just clean up for this conversation. Uh-huh. So, you know, we were also talking about <laughs> growing up in the part of your life and then these experiences. Would you say that there was any shame in in, in, in your life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I was saying. You know, I think that I am going through, and, and maybe it's because this pandemic situation here in LA, this kind of lockdown that we've been in, you know, I've spent primarily, you know, alone. So you had a lot of time to think, you had a lot of time to write, you had a lot of time to figure some things out. I feel like I had a moment during this past five or six months recently, like a month ago, that sparked something in me that made me realize that I actually need to go through another coming out. (laughs) <laughs> that I didn't complete the coming out process. <laughs> <laughs> the first time around. <laughs> and I mean this not in my sexuality. I mean this in not being ashamed of my sexuality, huh. not being ashamed of my womanhood, not being ashamed of my femininity or my butchness or my androgyny, but really my femininity because deep down I feel very feminine. And that's not always, I mean, like how I present, I guess. And it's in my, it's in, it's as an actor, it's as a writer, it's owning my artistry, it's owning my art, it's owning my career, my money, my every, owning it. And I think that I haven't ever really owned it all. Mm. And it's taken me a long time. And I've wanted to like let go of the shame and the fear for a very long time. And I knew that I've had to. And something about this year, I gave myself permission to. And so I feel like I'm coming into whatever this next chapter is, but I'm coming into my own. I really appreciate you talking about this. And I'm just really grateful for the timing of this conversation that you're, you know, kind of off, fresh off this introspective experience of yourself. And, and, and I've been really privileged to have a few other friends that have had different self-discoveries, but yours is like peeling back these layers of, I, I, to me, it's, I call it my onion. Like I have layers oh, yeah. that I keep peeling back. 
but all of these things that you, you mentioned, butch, femininity, um, and drop, like, these are all rich things that make you who you are. Mm. Um, and to be able to hold space for all of these things. Because I know sometimes with myself, if I find one thing, I, I, I have blinders on and I can only see that aspect of my life. Oh, I mean, I'm great at compartmentalizing. That's yeah. my producer brain. Right. Sure. But when I can dance, like the whole dance, like with everything and be all the different, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like today how I, I guess like kids are coming out now. Like, and we can say that, you know, people could say like, I'm queer and they can embrace, uh, you know, if it's someone who identifies as a man, they can embrace their masculinity, their femininity. They can- Non-binary. Their, yeah. I didn't even know that that was possible. It Well, and I like, feel I'm like- I'm learning that from, from the generation behind. Right. Well, yeah. and I feel like, you know, for- for us, like our generation, it was like the generation right before us fought so hard for us to all have our place. LGBT, you know, and I always, and, yeah. And to we it was almost so important for us to be able to categorize ourselves so that we had space in the world, so that people identified who we were and that we could work through the oppression and the struggles that we had. But now that generation, this like new, this other generation, mm-hmm. they've really, I've taken it, they've evolved it into not necessarily, not having to be, not having to put yourself into a box and that you could just be who you are. And some days you might feel a little more butch and some days you might feel a little more feminine or whatever yeah. the case is. And you're just giving your permission, you're giving yourself permission to be yourself. That is totally, yes, 100%. <laughs> I don't know what else I would add. I always say to people too, it's like for the generation before us and what they did for our community, you know, it's just amazing. And we came in at the end, I remember 2008 and Prop 8 and marching in Chicago. I even marched in New York and and then Obama, you know, being there that night for Obama in 2000. I mean, it's just amazing to be a part of that. And now the generation kind of behind us, like the word queer didn't exist the way it existed exist even maybe five seven seven years oh, ago yeah. just didn't yeah. it wasn't an, a word or an option i didn't even i'll be real honest i didn't like the word i thought it was um at the time um obviously have learned and been quiet and started to meet more people and listen which is a great tool um i i didn't like the word because a lot of people i felt like were politicizing it within the community mm. or they were mm. saying queer because I don't want to put myself in a box, but then I thought they were putting themselves in a box by saying they were queer. So I was like, I don't get it, mm. which is really honest. And it makes me feel, you know, kind of bad to say, but it's not how I feel today. Mm. Yeah, It's not where my evolution and my learning and my understanding of this community has grown into or wanting to learn more about the trans community and um, really understanding the non-binary community and like all of those spaces for humanity are just beautiful. So yeah. it's like, why would I be caught up on a word? Let people be who they are. And, yeah. I, and I had a lot probably to do with me not giving myself permission to be who I was. And mm-hmm. I and they were giving themselves permission to. You you said yeah. earlier um, while we started this conversation or when you first expressed all the wonderful things you got to be able to accept about yourself over the last few months, uh, why well, have a more quiet time. Well, I'm still stepping into that. Well, stepping Once into we can a, step outside. Well, <laughs> right. Once we can. But the uh, but you said you said something that I, it's a common thing I hear from people and myself as well is the word let go, oh. and and I, what I say to people is is that that's great, but if you don't know exactly, if you haven't done enough work on yourself, like if you haven't you know gone into maybe that dark scary basement that can be in, in, in between the ears, 
you don't know where you're, I, at least I, I can't say for mm. you, I, I don't know really what I'm letting go of until I identify what it is or mm. where I want to go. I didn't even know that it was the word shame until I was on the phone describing this kind of epiphany that I was having about a second coming out oh, yeah. to somebody and the word shame popped up. And I and I started to get very, very emotional. And I was like, that's that's what it is. It's uh, like some sort of internalized homophobia that's, you know, or that's that's ruled it, you know, it's also being a woman. It's also just thinking you're not worth anything. You know, I, I try to tell my brother, I'm like, you know, I think every woman wakes up every morning and makes the decision that it's gonna be a good day. <laughs> makes the decision. I mean, women, because we're told that we're not enough. We're 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 in this world where you know, there's certain ideals and ideas about what a woman should look like and be and all these kind of things. So that's what we grew up with. So every day I, I feel like I've been fighting to just say, you deserve things, you're worth things, you know? I am um, enough. I am enough. That, yeah, I am enough. Or yeah, I think for a long time I was trying to figure out if I even liked who I was. And then I just, oh, wow. and yeah, and so once, you know, in, in my thirties and producing and, yeah. you know, all these kinds of things, you start to realize what you're capable of and you even surprise yourself. That's true. And that surprise of like producing freelancers and even Easy Abbey early on made me realize that I'm capable of so much more than I even know. And that mm. got me really positive and curious about, I don't even know what I'm capable of moving <sighs> forward and what a gift it is to be here to yeah. figure that out. Right. So now it's just, what is the purpose? Yeah. Mm. You said you that know? magic word, curious. And curious is like kids at Wakepoint. You see, you see uh, like mm. Anthony's sister had a baby a little over a year ago and he's curious, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen, <laughs> I mean, you've got uh, nieces and nephews. Yes, right? there's three of them. curious they are. <laughs> yes, and, they're very curious. Right, and, and, and we, we get taught that, you know, there are places we shall not go, things how you should not act. Mm -hmm. um, and we learn shame through that process. And, and for me specifically being like, you know, for, you know, and I can't speak for being a woman, there's a lot to carry there that doesn't need to be, that, that should be set free, I think. And understanding the fact that like, you know, shame is like, you know, don't hit somebody, you know, don't don't uh, hit the kid next to you on the bus. Like, mm -hmm. you know, don't don't speak badly to your parents, you know, don't, uh, don't harm animals, like don't do harm onto others or yourself basically, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And, but then when this problem comes is, is that when it's like who you are as a being, is supposedly bad or immoral, that is a journey of unpacking. Yeah, I've been unpacking that for years. Now I've gotten to a good place with that. But, but, so, but, and so, and obviously you have because you said the magic word curious. Yeah, curiosity is yes. probably the best, it's probably the best thing that you can be. It's That's a gift of a place to be in. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's really fun because what it does is it doesn't pigeonhole you in a way, because I'm such a goal-oriented, you know me. I'm like, well, if I'm going to make it, what's the point? What's the, okay, there's only so much time. What platform do I want to pitch it to? You know, it's just like yeah. my brain is always in go mode career-wise, but I have to let go of that because if you're just curious about things, and this happened with Easy Abby, is Easy Abby was interesting because it's my first project really on camera as an actor and producing, and we just made a thing. I had no expectations. I was just curious and had fun. And we put it out there and this is like 2013. And as far as web series go, we crushed it. We sure. we had 14 episodes that did like 50 million views it's on amazing. YouTube. Wow. And you know, 
it was probably me just hitting play. No, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but this is at a time when web no. series were a little different. So, yeah. so to me, it was like, I had no expectations. I was just curious. And we just put a thing out there that, that came from the heart and, and, and look at the like, response. Look at the response. Yeah. And I think it, you, so you said it, I think it's, you know, there are so many times where, you know, you have, we all have ideas. We all have things that we think that we can do, but unless you, act on those ideas and you create a plan and you put the plan into motion and then you create it, it's never going to happen. Right. But I also think too, you said you gave it the secret ingredient. You gave it love. And when you give mm. a project or you give anything that you're creating, you know, if you're, if you're starting a business or mm. you're, you're shooting a film or mm -hmm. you're cooking in the kitchen, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. when you, I remember my grandma said this to me when I was a kid, my grandma was the big entrepreneur in the family mm -hmm. and, you know, own restaurants and bars and hotels and all that stuff. Badass. And I she sure <laughs> was. But I remember asking her one time, I said, what's the secret ingredient? Why do people keep coming back to our restaurants or why are our restaurants so successful? And she's like, because I cook with love. And it's that simple, it, that simple concept. It's not just love. It's also the dedication that goes into it to making sure that every bite of food that would leave that kitchen that would go out into the dining room would be as delicious and perfect as it can be. And it's the same thing. When you're with, driven by purpose. Right. When you're driven by purpose, dedication just happens. Right. So, mm. so yeah, then, then you're just, when you have that kind of dedication, it's, it's always done with love, right? So, I mean, and that's the thing I learned with freelancers was people don't invest. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about invest in you as a person or as an artist or whatever it may be. They don't invest in a project. They invest in you, rather. They invest in you. It's, it's, it's an amazing process of like letting people see who you are yeah. and, and, and knowing who you are and loving who you are and owning that. And, that's, you know, the, the, Brene Brown's done a lot on vulnerability over the last mm -hmm. few years. It's really given people permission to, to dive into that. And with that vulnerability, back to what you're talking about here, is connection. And if people know really what I am and what I'm about, then they can connect with me and we can get stuff done. Yeah. As we've been talking, I've also been thinking about what a... a that connection, yeah. that's something I've been lacking in, in certain areas of my life where I don't want them to lack. And it, and it has to do with holding on to fear and shame. So mm. I've been kind of hiding out. I have been hiding out. It's a term I've been using for the past year or so. And I've been completely aware of it and I don't want to do it anymore. And that's why I wanted to, to talk with you guys about this because I think I've been even reassessing my career. I'm like, why is it that you work so much in voiceover and not as much on camera? Like or on stage, and oh, you're you're literally hiding. <laughs> you're doing all this work, <laughs> isn't that amazing? like? I was just like, you gotta own yourself in the room when you're auditioning. You gotta own it all the time. You can't hide. And and you know, in, in lots of aspects of my life, mm -hmm. I've hidden, and I just don't want to hide anymore. Yeah. I, I think it's because I had to give myself permission to let people see me, yeah. mm -hmm. and still be able to protect all the good parts of me to the best of my ability. Those boundaries are important yeah. at the same time. I think I'm just learning what those that's are for me. Yeah, that's a- It's weird, yeah. Well, it took, it took me a while, yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad I came to it. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I feel like with what you do for work, you know, professionally, you're 
always putting yourself out there. So you, nine times out of 10, I mean, as we know this, is that you get told no because it's just how the, the numbers work, right? Sure, With and I'd love audition. to be booking at 10%. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. So, but the, but the you know, part of it too is, is that you, if you're not comfortable with yourself and you don't feel good. I mean, it just, it's really hard to show up at a hundred percent when you know that there's a higher percentage that you are going to get rejected. Yeah. I never even used to think about rejection. I was like, I'm not even worried about competition or rejection. I just went into this with audition, audition, audition. That's the job. And you get the job. It's the icing on the cake and you get to go to work. Um, I never thought about it, but then we were talking about this, I think briefly, is that after like 10 years, 12, 13 years of auditioning, you know, we have pops of good stuff that happens, but pops, you start to, I started to realize, I was like, oh my God, I have like PTSD from hearing no. Mm. <laughs> like it like caught up with me. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and so I took some time away from, that's the thing about this situation that we're in right now, everything slowed down and stopped. So I actually took time away from acting or even reading the trades or anything like that. Like I just kind of, I just stopped. So in, it sounds like uh, we've had, you've had time to really find yourself in a lot of this and discover some of these uh, underlying, you know, thoughts that you've had and these, you know, things that have held you back. What are some of the tools you've used to discover these and work through these? Sitting in silence, mm. talking with, uh, both my, with my brothers, really close with both my brothers um, and my and my parents. But also, I think for me, I almost need a little separation from my family to figure out who I am because we're such a close, like, Italian <laughs> family. I so completely like, understand. Yeah. Yes, Navarro. Uh, so also uh, spirituality, more so than religion, has been, has been very important to me for the past, well, for always, but finding my way of having a spiritual connection mm. and a groundedness, like checking a check-in like daily, a daily check-in mm. routine. That's something that's helped me. Do you do that like in the morning when you first wake up or is that something that Night. happens? Nighttime, yeah. Before I go to sleep. It's just very peaceful for me and it, and it reconnects me to, to the ground. <laughs> so you said silence. So do you, when you say um, that time, is there one time that's specifically listening and then another time where you're talking to this? Well, I told, you know, I joked with my brother. I was like, look, if I start talking to the walls in my apartment, come get me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it happens. It happens. You know, I've been like journaling when I need to like write stuff out or it'll get expressed in like an idea for like a short film or my brain just goes there. I'm like, oh, what's the story of this? And mm. I've also been writing a ton. So that's mm. been very helpful. But in the moments of silence, I don't really talk out loud. It's like, I'm just listening and just being and trying to stay present in the moment. And then if something comes to me or sparks something emotional or in any direction emotional, I feel like I have to like write something down that it's, you know. Um, also meditation is is new for me, but I have a lot of anxiety. I have dealt with like depression and anxiety. And so um, these like guided meditations are like really helping me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. to go to sleep. And you know how I feel about earthquakes and you know how I feel about, you know. Tell us I, how you feel about earthquakes. I just got my red pack from Red Fora. <laughs> I got it for two just in case I'm stuck for longer. I have a whistle by my bed. Guys, I'm like nuts about so, these earthquakes and being so alone. Our, our well-prepared uh, earthquake writer here. Uh -huh. uh, Lisa, oh, we've, we've mentioned freelancers. Uh, we talked about a couple of different things. Uh, 
you did Easy Abby in 2013. The, the main character you played, Abby, was a lesbian. And that yes. was one of the very few uh, web series that was available at the time that had a, a full yes. like gay cast. Yes. Yeah, and I should mention, I mean, obviously it was created, um, you know, with Wendy Jo Carlton, who's, you know, just a really fun, you know, writer-director, and she gave me a shot. But I, I think what's interesting about, you know, thinking about web series back in like 2013, 2014, and think looking at like what's available in the media today, web series played such an important role for the LGBTQIA plus community for uh, um, many reasons, but one of them is representation. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why people responded so well, not only with Easy Abby being well-written, well-produced, like acting was great. I mean, it, it, all of those components were there, mm -hmm. but part of it was, was that it was another story where you got to see a version of yourself on yeah. the right. screen. Exactly. And I think, you know, because uh, yeah. it was a time where content for the community wasn't on television, wasn't right. on Netflix, it wasn't available. Do you think about, I have to ask you this, you think you're going to get no's, like you're aware of that? Like, do you say that? So you're like, yeah, I know I'm going to get some no's, but. I don't even, I, I'm, so, I'm so focused on where I'm going. Yeah, because I never even think about a no. Yeah, like no. if I'm making something, I'm just like, I'm in yes. And if you're a no, then get out of my way. That's right. kind of like. Right, right, right. Yeah, and on, yeah. The rare, and, and on the rare occasion, there might be something where if I give someone my ear for a minute, mm -hmm. where I can be like, oh, well, they, they may have something that I can pivot from here a little bit or something that I can take with me on this journey to get where I'm going. But generally speaking, there's a science, right, that um, you talked about meditation, uh, contemplation, and that a negative thought sticks to the brain, like generally like Velcro, mm. generally speaking. I believe it. Um, and, that, and that for an actual, like, for an actual, like, you know. Uh, but like old school 80s Velcro. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those, those kangaroos. With, with those like double, those, with yeah. the double. Those kangaroos, uh -huh. right? Yeah. 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 They're kangaroos. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So, mm. but then with, with, with uh, like a positive energy and stuff, you actually have to, they, they say that you have to actually sit in it and it takes seven to eight seconds for it actually to stick to the brain. But when I've actually, when, when I've been in a good place and I've been able to maintain like my spiritual condition, that thing, that, that conscious desire impact that I'm trying, it's, it's there like glowing with me. I, it's, it's, it's there. I'm yeah. It's it. like around you. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you just, and you just, you just keep going. Um, and you're so, you got those, not blinders, but you're just keep looking focused. on the thing. You're it's focused. a focus and you're drawn to your, so when you're working on something, project, you're building a business, you're doing whatever it is that you're doing and you wholeheartedly believe in your mission and you believe in yourself. There's also, I think, sort of, a, I've been there a few times. There's also sort of this like out of body spiritual experience where you hear or you are, you, you have this feeling that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. that there is no other space. So it's like when those no's or when those people, those negative people come in place, it's almost like, it's almost like you have a shield around you that you're just being able to plow through that. And it doesn't even matter what they say. And you just keep moving forward because you are focused on your task mm. at hand. Yeah. I know like, you know, I don't talk about this a lot on the show or haven't talked about this, but, you know, building, you know, an event company, an event planning company. I mean, there were, there were, I, I can look back and say there were pivotal moments in my career 
as I was building the company where I knew whether it was a, a, a time where I would have to pivot or there was, uh, or I just had to keep going. Like I, like I remember when I first got started, it took me a whole year just to get it moving. And I remember wanting to quit and not do it anymore. <laughs> I took a meeting with this other event company and they wanted me, they wanted to hire me. They wanted to give me a job. And I went out to this office and I pulled into the parking lot and I walked in and I basically went to interview as I'm like kind of have this like half company, you, you know, started, like kind of yeah. company started. Yeah. And I walked out of the interview and I was like, okay, I could totally work here and I'll have a salary and I'll have insurance and I'll have all of these things. And I remember walking out of this interview and I saw in the parking lot a sign. You've never told me and this. It's and a, I, <laughs> I know, but so, but I saw this sign in the parking lot and it was for a parking space. It said for the CEO. And I thought, that's the parking space I want to have. I'm not taking this job. I'm going to keep going on my path. And like, not instantly, but within, you know, a couple of months, sure. everything turned around and it was like, things were just flowing. It's like that that quote that's just like, once you make the decision to do something, the world or the, the universe conspires to make it mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. yeah. Which I absolutely love because yeah. it's so true. Right. Once you start, sorry, once you start moving in that, in that space, yeah. it's pretty amazing how powerful yeah. it can be when yeah. things start to align. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's how freelancers happen. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that. There's a lot of alignment. That's when my spiritual journey really started. I really started to own and figure out what my spiritual journey was about. Freelancers Anonymous. Freelancers Anonymous was a is a <laughs> feature film comedy uh, that we shot in Chicago for four weeks. Sonia Sebastian is our director. And I basically just asked all my very successful actor friends on TV <laughs> if they would go to bat for me <laughs> and be in this movie with me. Um, in my like small size brain, I was like, maybe I'll be able to get like a really good theatrical agent from this. Let me tell you, that's not what this journey was about at mm -hmm. all. This journey was about learning how to believe in yourself. It was about learning how to put something out into the world that could reach people across, halfway across the world. One of the greatest moments of Freelancers Anonymous for me was, yes, the Castro Theater was amazing because it was just amazing, but was one, seeing the credits at the end of the film. It was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie because I realized that I made it possible, our team, all of us, Amy Deladrino, my co-writer, we all we made it possible to hire like 250 people. Wow. And I was so proud of that. And I was so proud for my parents to come see it in North Carolina. Both my parents came and it was a big deal. And that was awesome. And one of the other great moments was being in Sydney. Sydney, Australia. And you know how I feel about flying, if you know how yeah. I feel about earthquakes. <laughs> and I got on <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I had a chance to go to see, you were with me the night before I left. The night before you left, I was, I was at like, your terrified. apartment. I was like, please God, let me get there. Oh man, I drank so much red wine on that flight, <laughs> at least to Hawaii. And then I like passed out, but I went to Sydney and it was amazing. The, the theater was almost sold out for the screening, which was great. This, I don't even think she, if she, if she listens is it's awesome. This woman came up to me, was in a Freelancers Anonymous t-shirt that I had had made here in downtown LA during our Indiegogo or no, Seed and Spark campaign. And she was from Perth, which is like clear across the other side of Australia. And she flew in. It's like flying across the United States, like flew in to Sydney 
to see our screening. And I was like, oh my God, I could cry. <laughs> it's like, it basically taught me how far an idea can take you mm-hmm. and how far an idea can reach. And that not only is that an amazing thing, but it also taught me about the responsibility that I have with this amazing, cool superpower of like, I love big ideas, Mm -hmm. but I also, you know, have failed many times along the way. I I failed a lot and that's okay. I don't even know if you call it failure. I think it's just, I don't even think you call it failure. I think it's like going for something all the way, no matter what, and just doing the best you can in the moment that you are. Well, and it's taking what you, it, it, it's taking, it's a learning lesson. So what didn't work, it's taking the knowledge that you got from that experience yeah. and applying it to the next, the next go around, the next exactly project, right. the next, you know, whatever it is. And it always takes on. me time to recoup, you know, it's yeah. been a couple of years. So I'm just kind of like, and, and it makes me feel that goes back to that shame, right? Where I want to hide, where I'm like, oh man, I wanted it to be this thing, but it wasn't, well, it was but, this, but because you put expectation on yeah. it. And so then you're holding on to the shame of being embarrassed or feeling like a fool or something, which is so ridiculous because it takes a lot of courage to make things happen. Everyone out there who's an actor producing or anybody making a business from scratch, like keep going because Mm -hmm. it takes guts. And then I think what's gonna happen, hopefully, is that it won't, the rebound time (laughs) as I create, it just won't be like this anymore. I just feel like I'm I'm in a place where I'm so excited to create. So with freelancers, mm-hmm. I know we saw it. It was at the Chicago Reeling Film Festival. Yes. Um, it was, you were in multiple film festivals. We did. We did 30 film festivals 30. internationally. Yeah. So, and, and these film festivals, just so people, because I, you know, I didn't start going to film festivals till in the last couple of years and they're jurred. You don't just, you, 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 it's a big deal to get it, you know, invited to even, you know, to be a yeah. part of it and then yeah, be yeah. accepted. And um, you opened or closed, I think, Chicago, didn't you? We well, opened Chicago. Yeah, you opened Chicago, which is an honor. It was an honor to do. And because we shot it in Chicago and like half our cast is from Chicago, our crew, we, we shot locally. And you, you mentioned some of your wonderful friends and people that you would really uh, look up to, you worked with. Oh, I got to give them a shout out. Yeah. Well, Chicago folks, I mean, we got to say Alexandra Billings, which is just uh, amazing yes. to have. Alexandra Billings there, and Mauza McCarr, who I did a play with years before, Haviland Stillwell, who I've known for years from New York, uh, Jennifer Bartels, who I went to college with at East Carolina. We went through the same Meisner program together. I've known her forever. It's like going through the cast, Megan Cavanaugh, who was from A League of Their Own, who I met when I moved here, who's uh, from Chicago. Who did she play in A League of Their Own? She played oh. Marla Hooch. Yeah, yeah. And she's just like the most lovely human. And just and, and freelancers too, just adorable. Like she's like, so cute. Yeah. I just love her so yeah. much. <laughs> I've always wanted to meet her, and I was so nervous. I remember the day that I met her here in LA. My friend Sean introduced us, and he was like, "Would well, you want to meet her?" I was like, "Oh my god, I totally want to meet her." And and he was like, "Oh, there's this bar in Hollywood that's a Blackhawks bar, and I love hockey." So I was like, "Yeah, let's go see the Hawks." So I went and and I met her, and I was like, "Oh man, I gotta I gotta work with her. It's like a dream." Cause you grow up watching, you know, you grow up watching this stuff, you know, like, I don't know. And then you meet people and then you're in LA and you're like, oh yeah, everyone's hustling around. Yeah. And then I think you then, I don't know, part of that then goes to is that they're just people, the people that want to work and And, that want to And very kind, yeah, Yeah. just very kind people too. And what you kind, beautiful people got to create together was something that maybe wasn't necessarily represented before with tech and women. Ah, yes. 
Well, this is what, this is the other thing freelancers did for me. It, it started to kind of like shore up, get a little bit clearer shape on what my purpose is, which I think has something to do with women in tech and bringing light to that. Mm. Um, I don't know anything about tech. <laughs> However, my family does. So especially my mom who just retired and I always thought that her job sounded so boring. And now I just have learned what a badass she is for, you know, working at IBM back back yes. in the day and being one of the only women, if not the only woman in her department working on like mainframes or I don't know how much I can say or what I can't say, but it was, <laughs> it's like IBM. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just what a badass, you know, um, she wouldn't agree with that. My purpose has something to do with bringing to light through film and TV and through stories, women, the LGBTQ, IA plus and BIPOC communities um, in tech, in STEM industries, bringing them to light. There's there's an intersection there and um, also in entrepreneurship. So I think that there's how we invest in businesses for women and um, people of color is just woeful in comparison to white male businesses. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm talking about like one, 1%. One yeah. I'm shaking my, I yeah, can't, 2%. no one can see. I'm it's shaking like, my head. It's he's shaking. His head. It's, 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 it's like nowhere even, it's not even like, oh, it's 37. It's like 70, no. 30. No, it's like one or 2% are fully funded. And so I just think that innovation comes from a great place of lots of different points of view. And I can only imagine in you know, the STEM industries, what that encapsulates. So I, I guess I just want to bring light to it yeah. what through I have, the stories I tell. And with, and thank you for doing that. I, I appreciate your intention with that. And, 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 and they're entertaining to what you, freelancers is very entertaining. Well, freelancers is like, a, I think I'm going to look back on freelancers and be like, Oh, Lisa. Oh, Lisa. <laughs> that was cute. But 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 it had it served a purpose. It well, served it served a next step, a, yeah. a stepping stone. So it it's was okay. your it was your curiosity that got you to this place. Yeah. So you were curious to create yeah. that. Now you're here, and without that, you would have never. You would might not have known exactly. that this purpose existed. Exactly. Freelancers is available to uh, for people to watch in their homes today. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can rent it. You can buy it. It's on it's on our website. You can go to our website. And you can rent the movie through VHX is the platform. Earlier, you were talking about superpowers, so which <laughs> I think I is interesting. Superpowers? Yeah, you did. You, oh you brought it up earlier. God, no. So I think uh, it's interesting. You know, you've been on this sort of break. You've been doing a ton of voiceover work, doing a lot of audiobooks. Mm, books are booming. Yeah, and you told us that you just recorded a book for this little company called Marvel. Yes. And it was a, a story about uh, the Wasp. I recorded Marvel's young adult novel, The Unstoppable Wasp, written by Sam Maggs, who also writes you know, comic books. And I don't know if graphic novels, but I think this is her first like young adult novel. So, and I didn't know anything about Marvel. I mean, every time a Marvel movie comes out, I'm just like, ugh, what, who's making like, what's, <laughs> a lesbian film that's coming out. No, I don't know. What's like a foreign film or a short film? Like, I don't watch the big stuff. Well, you you came to see Captain Marvel with us. And I, I, think, I, did, and I think you liked it. I went, now look, you have to understand, <laughs> I went for my, because Brie was in it. So look, and I saw Black Panther for obvious reasons. So now since recording The Unstoppable Wasp, I went and I started watching the Marvel movies because when you got time, you got time. Mm -hmm. So that was like three months ago and I watched every Marvel movie. Oh, really? Welcome to the club. During this time. 
I've watched every single one. I started with the Ant-Man and the Wasp because I was like, Wasp, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I think I was like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer? Totally watching, sold, (laughs) sold. (laughs) So I started with that. And then I started watching like the second, I think it's broken into like four sections of like how you can watch it. So I started in the second or third section and I bounced around and then you were like, just go to the beginning and watch Iron Man. And I was like, oh, I remember when they were shooting that in Chicago. It was ridiculous. And I was like so irritated. <laughs> <laughs> and then that I watched and Transformers. it. Transformers. Probably, yeah, and Transformers. Iron Man was probably one of my top three favorites. It's one of the best. Yeah. And it was just excellent. And I was, and now I'm into all those movies. So <laughs> what's it like? Uh, Sorry, we're talking about an audiobook. It's okay. No, that's, I'm glad that you went there. What's it like? to record a book about a superhero who is a woman. Pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've recorded a lot of books. This year's really a special year. Probably early next year is a special year for me as a narrator because I'm going to hit 100 titles. Wow. So I'm very excited. Thank you. I'm like really excited to hit that number. Most of the books that I've read, a lot of the books, I do a lot of young adult fiction, um, teen romance, a lot of series, um, cozy mystery, small town murder mystery kind of stuff some nonfiction, but I've never gotten to do like a superhero book with superpowers. And it was all based, and see, this is how it comes back, guys. It was all based in STEM. This Mm. girl is a young scientist, right? With her crew of friends. And they're, you know, they're talking about the, the PIM particles and being able to shrink and they go into all the molecular, I mean, it goes into all that stuff. And, um, and then there's a queer relationship between two of the women. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. So it sits in my voice where I usually work in the market, we'll say, but it also sits in my purpose, right? Mm which is to bring light to stories. And and this book was just, it just came to me. So it was an offer that came. And I've done several books about young girls, young um, like preteen books about girls who want to be, like one was about an astronomer and one was about a girl who wanted to be a coder. So it was all starting to like get these young adult books about women or young women interested in science, tech, engineering, or math. Mm. Very interesting. So that's not what I usually record, but I'm so excited that those are the the level of books that they have that kind of mission that I'm so interested in sharing. I don't know why I'm interested in it. I honestly don't. Makes you tick though. Just going back and just talking a little bit more about superheroes. So Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> do you feel any empowerment in being the voice, the audio voice of uh, a, su- a female superhero? I think, you know, it's so funny because when I'm recording the book, I'm so in the story uh-huh. and you're playing all the characters. So I'm so, and there's a lot of dialogue and you're bouncing around and you're playing like all these different voices. So I'm so interested in just making sure that I do service, good service to the story um, that I'm not thinking about anything but that. Mm. But as you ask the question, it's like probably one of the first times I'm really think I would think about this because all I'm, I have a script or a manuscript and I got to tell this story to the best of my ability and bring all these girls, all these young mm. women to life and to understand what their points of view are and to understand where they're coming from, um, to make those character choices, you know, to get that across just with my voice. Cause that's all that I have in this medium. That's what I'm thinking about. Yes. It does make me feel like I'm a part of putting good into the world. Mm. And it makes me feel like I'm a part, I guess this is what I was trying to say before is 
this kind of a book is like a type of book that's really special to me because there's a purpose. It's not just another acting job. It is a story that I'm proud of. It's a story I want to be a part of. And, you know, and it so aligns. that that it aligns, but it, it also has such a great message for young queer women, young straight women, young women interested in science, young um, women of color. Like it doesn't matter. It's it's for um, the empowerment of young women, which I mean, that, it, it, I guess I'm not even really aware of that power. Well, it's interesting. Does that make sense? It like does, no, I'm, I'm it, not, I, I'm just telling the story. I think it does make sense. <laughs> and what, it's a very important question about being empowered with the superhero, but as, a, as also the narrator, you're, you're, you're doing all the voices and to understand that we, we need everyone. We need <laughs> all of us, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so that's what my journey has been in as far as like maybe getting to experience people who are, that I did not have experiences with growing up or uh, was told things about people that uh, I was told to be true about certain people. And then I met them and I was like, ah, this isn't, this is not really my experience mm. with what I've been told about. And, and also, I just wanna be honest about this. It also has to do with people that sometimes I'm told that have a different view things about me and who I mm. am. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 it's universal. And I think that we are all at our best when we're doing, like, you know, I've had jobs where I'm like doing a side hustle, like waiting tables or, you know, you know, helping a friend with their business or something like that, which is great because I know it's just a means to get me to, 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 uh, yeah. to, to get stepping, to work. Stone. Stepping, Step, stone, right. stepping stone. Yeah. It's, it's a supporting as well. You know, it's, it's helping with, with that. So what we can all do, to, you know, to, together and being that narrator, you, you get to almost kind of like you're in the air traffic tower control, look down <laughs> and see how we're all in, you know, it's like those ants that are building something all together, you know? I mean, and if you're the wasp, you're flying right over. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it's just a fun story. You know, it's Love just that, I know, you're you're like really into them too. I mean, I started with, again, Brie Larson for obvious reasons. Sure. I think for me, it's it was a different, gravitating towards superhero stories was different because growing up, there was a point where for me, that I started getting bullied for, you know, yeah. I was being called, you know, you know, yeah. queer, gay, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And I feel like, you know, having those superpowers, I always thought that I would be able to fight that, which I learned a different route to fight that. But that was always that. That's, that, a, that's yeah, why that I gravitated. Sense. That makes you know, towards I never had that. superheroes. I never yeah. had that. Mine was, I think, those movies that I that I snuck home from Blockbuster. That was sure. like those those little indie films from the nineties that was just like, oh, there's my people. Yeah. That's how I feel too when I walk in a gay bar. I'm like, my people. Yeah. Whoever you are, gay, straight, female, non-binary, to have people that surround you and encourage you to be who you are and what you're becoming, I am responsible for that. Like mm -hmm. the things that were said to me as a child that, you know, that hurt me, I had no part in those. But if those things are still occupying space in my head today. That's such a good point. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's, I have a part in that. Right, and so when I get to be quiet, and then I get to surround myself, and I get to hear people that are different than me talk about how, I mean, some of the the most impactful parts of my life have been late at night hanging out with transgendered individuals, like grabbing, you know, going out to the bars and afterwards, like meeting up for tacos on Belmont after Berlin, you know, <laughs> and and, 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 it, and it was like going to church at four a.m. on Belmont, you know, after Berlin, like that. That there was spiritual. You go to that church. Well, I'm calling that my church. Well, it was the taco place. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, <laughs> like the church, church, the one on Broadway? And no. Okay, no, okay. No, no. I mean, maybe sit on the bench, eat the taco at four o'clock in the morning. But yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Uh, I'm really looking for. I actually, I, I have not. Uh, you said something really important right there too, where you said that that's my responsibility. I think something to that effect, uh, um, because that's another piece of this ownership and creating boundaries and understanding what those boundaries are for yourself in your life, so you're able to take risk yep. and trust yourself is holding yourself accountable, mm. which is something that I don't think I ever really grasped the concept of. Mm. Yeah, I know. Like <laughs> for I know for Jeff and I when we're dealing with something, you know, something problematic or something that's maybe outside of our comfort zone. It's the first thing Jeff always says is what's in our control. What do we have control over and what, what mm -hmm. can we, what do we have control over? And then we look at the situation and say, okay, this is, this is what we have control over and we can make, you know, A, B, C, or D decisions. And though that's what you always have to focus on is mm -hmm. that what you have control over, you can't control what other people are going to do, what other people are going to say. You have no control over that. And you can't let that power take over, you know, any part of your life. You can't let it take over your project that you're working on, your, your work, whatever it might be, your personal life, your family life. Whatever it is, you can only con you you can only change uh, what you have control over. Right, and, and what you're saying there is you're identifying that, right? right? You're saying that word "let go." We talked about earlier. Yeah. And then once I once I have you, Lisa, you talked about those boundaries. This, you know, a second ago, I think boundary yeah. was a word you used, right? Boundary uh, is a really good word because I don't think I've ever really used that word. Does think, that make sense? Yeah. And well, it, I, yeah, and I think like I don't know. If it's this like is a heart like, on my sleeve thing. You yeah. know me. Like I'm like. All in or not at all, yeah, you I know. Also, so, I, and I also think too, it's like it's kind of like growing up in like a, a, an Italian family. It's like you, I, for me, it was yeah. always like you always you're not doing what's necessarily right for you. You're doing what's right for the whole clan, for the whole family, right? So there's a part of that where those boundaries don't exist. I so I remember when my mom was still alive, she told. You know, she told me the story once where she was, she went to go pick up lunch and I was like, you know, four or five years old. And we lived in our neighborhood where my whole family lived around. Everybody knew us just as what it was. It was a neighborhood where everybody, you know, lived and somebody came up behind her and put their hands over her eyes while she was standing in line to get food from this takeout place. And she panicked mm -hmm. and the person would not take their hands off of her eyes. And it turned out to just be somebody like a friend of my dad's or a friend of like my uncle's or, but it wasn't someone she was close enough to, but he just felt that he could do that to her. And it pushed her to the point where she's like, I need my boundaries. I need my space. Right. And we moved, we moved about wow. like a half hour away from this whole community. Like where my whole family, my grandparents lived there, my aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody, we left. And part of that, you know, as much as I missed being able to ride my bike to my grandma's house, we had to have those boundaries because those boundaries, you know, sort of having, you know, your family there and still being a part of their lives, but not every second of every day, it allowed for us to grow in a different way. Mm. Mm -hmm. You have to make space for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I think our family has... I won't go too into it. I mean, our family's very close. I grew up in like a, just grateful to have like a loving parents and and who've found their way to supporting me, which is just amazing. Um, just a couple of years ago, showing up to the to the film festival meant the world to me in North Carolina, in Durham, North Carolina, which just meant a lot. I think we had boundaries so much so that I hid 
again. So there was a lot of boundaries. We're different Italians. You're from uh, further south. Uh, <laughs> is the boot kicking you guys away? Because my grandma listen, said listen. We're that not, Sicily's not okay. We're from southern Italy. All right. Because my one grandpa was from Sicily. All right. Out yeah. of four. Okay. All right. Fair. Our our family's pretty quiet, like reserved kind of family, and I don't think they even <laughs> know where I came from. And I'm. Of my friends, I try to describe to them. I'm just like, in the gay community in Chicago, LA, New York, I'm like such a square. I'm like so, <laughs> I'm just, I'm like just a, a white girl who just happens to be gay, who's just moving through the world, very lucky with privilege in a way that's different for so many people who aren't white. Um, and have that privilege in the gay community. And I'm just moving through the world. And I'm like so square. And I, my parents think I'm like the kid who moved away, who's like doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, no. I'm watching Netflix at eight o'clock at night in bed. Killing it, <laughs> killing it. But yeah, we, we actually had so many boundaries, I think, that I was always looking maybe to the theater or to, to acting as a way to express myself. Mm. So there's something there that, I've had to learn is this because I compartmentalized my life so much. Like if I had three different groups of friends, the ones that knew I was gay, the ones maybe like whatever it was. <laughs> and it was like, if these three groups shall ever meet each other, the whole, my life will fall apart. My friends from church, my friends that. from church camp, my, my friends from going out of Truman's and I, if the three of them all like my, my, it's my like game, worst fear. Oh, my, it's I like, can't yeah. even, even today. It's like, it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's fine now. But so with the compartmentalizing, it's like, well, wait, wait, what are bound? Like, I had to compartmentalizing, but what are boundaries? Like, oh, mm -hmm. boundaries of like what you can do with my body, like how you can touch me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've, I've never had someone come up behind me and put their hands and cover my eyes like Anthony's mom did. But to take away someone's agency by doing something like that—that that, that's what that's really doing there. I don't want to say we joke because I don't think to make light of that situation. Because what's really happening is, is that you are taking away someone's agency when you're doing yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're putting someone in, in an uncomfortable situation. And I mean, the the thing is, is that, so obviously I can't speak for her, but mm -hmm. knowing her and knowing what she would have, assuming how she would have thought it was, you know, she was a, a woman with uh, two kids mm -hmm. and a baby and me, I was probably like five, mm -hmm. you know, and she felt a man's hands on her face. I mean, I can't even imagine the fear that that would create. And I think, you know, going back and like thinking about like, obviously how we grew up and thinking about like our neighborhood in Chicago, how that was. I mean, it was very, it's very different today, but I think she was wise to say, to be able to identify what that was and what that right. did to her and, uh, to uproot us and move. I mean, yeah. I think- if that didn't happen, I think my dad would have probably stayed in that house, would still be living mm, in that house, wow. you know? So I feel like there, when we're challenged with situations like that, I think it's important to listen to that voice inside or listen wherever it's coming from and say, I have to make a change because I don't want to live like this. Yes. When you can say, I want to make a change because I don't want to live like this, I mean, that is powerful. Yeah, that is so powerful because, you know, you're owning the right to your own life. Yeah. You know, and we only have so much time. I mean, that is the thing about time this whole, time. you yeah. know, yep. this pandemic. I mean, really, it's so, 
it scared me. It scared me. People that were surrounded in the news were surrounded with bad things and death and sickness. And just, I, it's just so, so much. And, you know, you just start taking stock and being grateful and having gratitude mm. are words that I've said, but did not understand mm. internally, really internalize them in a real way. I think until this year, every moment is a gift and I want to spend my time wisely, you know? Well, we could have you back for a whole another episode just on gratitude alone, I feel like. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That's, that, that, I mean, Anthony asked about tools and that's definitely, you know, you know yeah. a tool to, in, in the toolbox that, that is a great That always resource. calms me down. Yeah. It always reminds me. Lisa, speaking of gratitude, I just want to tell you how much gratitude we have for you being here today. This has been a long time coming. Um, yes. And uh, I, I think this was the perfect time for this to happen with the three of us. So thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. Just uh, thank you for your friendships and we love you. And thank you for uh, letting us introduce you to some of our new friends here as well, too. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. I was looking forward to this. We were really excited to have you. I'm glad this it worked like, out. Thank you. This is like the outlet we have, right? Is this is this microphone. So. That's it. Yeah. That's where it is. Great. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Lisa's work is important in so many ways. She continues to raise the bar, not only for herself, but for her audience. The work she's creating is more important now than ever. We're excited to keep watching Lisa and see what exciting projects are to come. Make sure you check out Lisa's profile on our website to watch Easy Abbey and to rent Freelancers Anonymous. There, you can also check out some of the books Lisa has narrated in our bookstore. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening, and remember to be true, be you and to talk out loud.